Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Lakeshore Psych Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Schumacher, licensed marriage and family therapist here at Lakeshore Psychology Services. And today I'm once again joined by Dr. Berger um, coming, coming at you today um, on a kind of rainy Friday afternoon. It's nice to be here again, Jeremy. At least we're on the proper side of the dry side of the glass, so I'm good. <laughs> we are. <laughs> nice, and, nice and cozy in the office. Absolutely. Um, Dr. Berger and I are going to talk about how parents and teens can communicate more effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, both of us have a long history of doing family therapy, working with families, um, and I think both of us have, have some had some current cases, I'm kind of chuckling, mm-hmm. um, where this has come up. So we thought it'd be a great topic for us yeah. to sit down and chat about, uh, pull the curtain back a little bit on how we do things in therapy and give you guys some tips and tricks to Absolutely. help with those difficult conversations. Right. And especially those difficult conversations. And they're not difficult because of the subject matter. They're difficult because you have a child who is partially an adult and partially a child, and you as a parent never know what you're going to get when your kid walks in the door. So how do you have a conversation with that person? Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a big metaphor person in the work that I do. So one of the things I talk about is always kind of riding the wave when you have teenagers is um, kind of that surfing analogy of, if you get pulled into the water with your teen, like it's over because right. you're <laughs> you're you're out of your depth. Their emotions are so high, their brain's moving so fast. There's so many things going on mm-hmm. internally, biologically for their brain that you, as a, a full grown adult, can't keep up. And so the goal is not to uh, get pulled in with them, but the goal is kind of stay on top of things and and ride the wave. Let their emotions run out. Let their highs and lows and hormones and all that stuff do its own thing, and and not get pulled down into any of that stuff. And I kind of use a similar analogy, but it is not surfing um, involved. It is actually more forest involved. And I ask parents to take their nose off the bark of the tree and to see the entire forest, Mm -hmm. not just this particular tree. And sometimes parents can get so wrapped up into just one particular thing that they're not seeing the big picture. And when people don't see the big picture, it's really, really difficult to ride the wave. It's difficult to not get pulled under. Yeah. It's, it's also challenging to not get pulled into your kid's stuff. They're having an issue about X and you're trying to address Y. And really, you just want to pull back and see the entire alphabet and work with what you have. Right. Yeah. And it's one of those things I think with parents is... Um maybe start talking about this is, is parents have goals for their kids, but they're not always explicit in what those goals are. And it's very rare that um, kids are going to magically be working towards those goals if they don't know what they are. So it's one of those things where um, a parent is concerned about school or a parent is concerned about grades and a kid is concerned about their social life or their boyfriend or girlfriend or homecoming dance or whatever it is. Right. And so like you said, talking X and, and their kid is talking Y, usually they're talking past each other. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and when people don't feel like they're heard, they raise their voices or they say more extreme things. And that's how these arguments between parents and teens start happening is neither neither party feels like they're being heard very effectively. Right. And at this point, it's very, very important. Actually, in my opinion, probably more important for the teenager to feel heard mm-hmm. than it is for the parent to get their point across. Yeah. So in situations like this, once the anger starts, it's all over because, as you said, they've been pulled under, they can't swim, and it's all over. Um, nobody hears anything when anger is involved because Mm -hmm. it puts a dead stop to hearing anything past that anger. Yeah. 
So one of the things that I really am encouraging parents and teens to do is to write down bullet points of what they want to get across. And if I am working with a parent, I'm telling them, be the adult. That is my big mantra for parents is you have to be the adult. And if your teen starts getting angry, you start getting quiet Mm -hmm. rather than getting louder and louder and louder. And that is very, very difficult when you used when you as a parent are so used to dictating to your two year old or your three year old, no, you cannot wear, you know, the pink tutu with the purple tights because that doesn't go, or the purple pants because, well, we're going to church or what have you. <laughs> and you don't want that to happen. But at the same point in time, it's challenging to not let a child express their individuality. The problem comes in when parents try too very hard not only to get their point across, but to be right. Mm -hmm. It's not as important for parents to be right as to be human and to teach your children through modeling how to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, or I was misinformed, or any of those other kinds of things. It's kind of like the idea that came across with a, a couple that I saw just the other day where they were saying, well, I I think my parents must have the perfect marriage because they've been together for decades and I never saw them fight till I was a teenager. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, you poor thing. Mm-hmm. Because with, when parents fight and they model good fighting techniques, that is what kids pick up on and that's how they will then fight in their relationship. Right. A good relationship doesn't mean that people don't fight. It means that they fight in a healthy way. Right. So modeling, parents modeling for their children how to be human, I think is much more important than being right. But it doesn't always happen that way. Yeah, and I think uh, developmentally teens are in that that stage, that life transition of individuation. Mm -hmm. So their brain is working on figuring out what they're going to be like as an adult, who they are. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think parents often um, forget that they went through that stage too. And so they're, they're trying to make sure their kid is on the right path. Or if the parent isn't interested in being right in an argument, they're, they're sure they know what's right for their kid. Right. And I think that's just a really unhelpful paradigm to kind of be in this right-wrong because um, a lot of the stuff is learned by experience. Teens are having to live through some of these things. They're having to go through breakups. They're having to uh, figure out friend drama and work through different friend groups, lose friends, get new friends. All these things are things that we can tell teens as full-grown adults who have gone through it, hey, it's going to be okay, you'll get through it, and we can, we can tell them all these things, but until they experience it, it's really hard to kind of wrap your head around. Absolutely. Very, very true. And also, as, as parents of young children, we want to protect our children, and mm-hmm. we do everything we can short of bubble wrapping them totally, you know, to protect our children. And so when they're teenagers and they're going through, for instance, a breakup with a partner, and you want to do everything you can as a parent to protect that child, but that's but your job is not to protect them. Your job is to be there to catch them when they fall. Right. And so I oftentimes will use the trapeze and a circus as an analogy. Yeah. And uh, the parents are the net. They are not the partner catching them. They are the net. Right. And if the parents are there as the safety net, everything is good. So that's a hard concept for many, many parents to wrap their head around because I just want the best for my kid. Well, yeah, but you're doing just the opposite of the best. Right. Yeah. And that, that partner who's usually catching the kid is, is their social group. Right. Developmentally, teenagers care most about peer support. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't mean they don't love parents. Doesn't mean the parents aren't important. But developmentally, mm-hmm. what the brain wants is other brains that are going through similar things. Absolutely. Um, yeah. 
and I think humanizing parents kind of humanizing themselves. Um, they went through it. And a lot of times parents are so, like you said, hung up on being right that they forget to say like, yeah, I did this when I was a kid. And when teens know that stuff, they're very quick to bring it up. Yep. Well, well, you got pregnant when you were 15. I didn't do that. And that right. starts off this whole thing. And so I, I always tell parents like teens have a very high BS meter. Mm-hmm. Um, they pick up on things that are disingenuous. They're trying to figure out what their genuine self is. And so they're very much on the lookout for other people who are um, very genuine or very disingenuous. And so when parents are saying, well, I did this, but I don't want you to, Mm -hmm. that's a hard message for teens to kind of take because they aren't interested in that, that uh, disingenuous message they're getting. Absolutely. And a better message always is I did this when I was a teenager and I regret it because of these and these and these reasons. Mm -hmm. That's a much better message than I did this and I don't want you to do that. Yeah. Well, okay, that's great. Why do you not want me to do that? Explain life to me. Explain what your reasoning is, and I will either accept it or not as the teenager. And I think that's very difficult for parents who these days are very stressed. There's always a time crunch, always in a hurry, and this takes time to have these conversations. It's so easy when the kids are little to scoop them up and take them somewhere, but when they're older and teenagers, it's much more challenging. And to take that time is hard. And Mm -hmm. It's worthwhile. It's worth the effort if you want a good relationship with your emerging adult. Right. But it is hard. Yeah. Yeah. And it's one of those things where you don't always have a willing willing dance partner in it. <laughs> that is true. Um, some teens like having their, their parents and having a good relationship, and some teens are ready to get out of the house, ready to get out of their hometown, ready to get out of high school. There are so many things that their brain is saying, this is restrictive to me. Right. I want to get out. I want to get out. And parents, sometimes unfairly, I think, bear the brunt of that. Yeah. Um, but again, it's one of those things where, uh, this is true for all stages of life, not just with teenagers, the number one goal of, of not the number one goal, the number one skill in parenting is consistency. Absolutely. If both parents are consistent and they're consistent together, mm-hmm. it's much easier to raise a child from early on. And yeah, it's that bubble wrap mentality. Don't stick forks and outlets when they're little, right. but as they get older, kind of letting them go, letting them go. And I think parents get, a, um, there's so many more risks as kids get older. Now they're driving a car. Well, that's a, a scary thing. They're, right. and they're experimenting with drugs and with other uh, with alcohol yeah. and driving. sex and rock yeah. and roll. <laughs> <laughs> but getting behind the wheel of a car when you've when you're high is a really bad idea. Do, right. Does a teenager know that until they experience it? Probably not so much. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, sex without protection, okay, yeah, experiment with sex, but use protection. Right. Be smart about it. And a lot of parents are like, well, we have to, you know, teach our children abstinence. I think, Jeremy, you mentioned hormones before. Yeah, raising yeah. hormones, it's not happening. So you got to just be upfront and honest with your kids and tell them that abstaining is the gold standard and that's what you want them to follow. And if for whatever reason you cannot follow that, here are the steps that you can do right. to protect yourself. A reduction of harm approach. Exactly. Um, and research, for those of who, you who aren't coming from a psychology background, reduction of harm is, is a research-based strategy that basically says these are the, the ways to help people who are going to take risky behaviors um, regardless. No, no judgment, no right or wrong, but saying there are behaviors that in, have risks, there are ways to minimize those risks. And so you might not think... Um, your teenager hiking is very, very risky, but it is. You could you could fall. You could have um, – there's all sorts of dangerous things out in the wild that could happen. And so we, we reduce the risk in those things. Same with, with drugs, with sex, with alcohol. We want to take kind of that reduction of harm. If you're going to engage in this behavior, be aware of the risks. Right. Minimize the risks. Right. Absolutely. And that 
I think is a smart way to parent rather than sticking your fingers in your ears and covering your eyes and saying, lolly, 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 my kids aren't going to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, your kids, you know, kind of emerged from that bubble wrap. And at this point in time, their job is to experiment. And as you said, Jeremy, it is to find out who they are, right. what's important to them, what's not important to them, you know, what makes them happy, what makes them not so happy, what of their friend and who of their friend group works for them and what it doesn't work for them and who yep. doesn't work for them. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's important for parents to be honest and upfront because, again, as you said, teenagers have a high BS meter Mm -hmm. and they will be able to figure out if the parent has a hidden agenda. Oh, you don't want me to date Susie because of you don't think she's a nice person? Well, no, the honest reason is because I don't like her parents. Well, wow, that kid is going to understand that you don't like Susie and they're going to understand why you don't like Susie, even if you say something different. And so it's very, very tough to ride that fine line between supporting your kid and being that safety net and guiding your kid Mm -hmm. and giving them vector headings as to, you know, this is probably much more appropriate behavior than that. Right. So it's challenging. Yeah. And I think teens are are challenging because they're testing boundaries. And so parents, um, even if they're using the net analogy and their safety net, I talk about um, you're kind of curbing behaviors. You're the curb on the side of the road. You're not the seatbelt. You're not the airbag. You're the curb. Um, You're that alarm that kind of goes off when Mm -hmm. when things are off track. But you're you're letting them drive. You're letting them do their own thing. Um, but teens want to know where the boundaries are. They're testing, they're yep. pushing. That's how their brain is learning. And so I think a lot of parents sometimes think like, you used to be so easy or you used to listen better. Mm-hmm. And and um, teens recoil against that. It's not that teens are inherently rebellious, but it is that they're learning, they're experimenting. And if you're, mm-hmm. you're constricting that, then they're going to push those boundaries. They're going to try and break through. Absolutely. And I see our job as parents um, to be... First, you have to give your children roots Mm -hmm. from which they can then experiment and grow. And then it is to give your children wings. And when they're teenagers, that's the time to give them wings, but also give them a reason to come back. Because that's most important. Because if your kids feel so restricted that escape is the only option for them, that's what they will do. And they will have no reason to come back if they've escaped what they consider such constrictive boundaries. And that's important for parents to understand that, yes, you should let them go a little bit. Not, of course, to be totally, you know, let your kids just come and go as they please and do whatever they think they want to do, but to give them clear boundaries, but make them wide enough so that your kids have enough wiggle room in those Mm -hmm. lanes. And I think that's an important analogy as well as the curb. Yeah. Yeah. Mixing all my metaphors here. <laughs> um, I also I do a lot of gardening metaphors. Um, a lot more gardening metaphors than skills I have to actually grow my garden at home. Um, but parenting is is nurturing, and so um, you have this plant that's flowering and growing, and you're very protective of it when it's little, and it's it's um, safety based. You're keeping it safe, and that's right. the growing years. That's the zero to five kind of years, and then you're letting it sprout a little bit on its own and grow a little bit on its own. And in teenage years, it starts to kind of produce its own fruit, or maybe its vines are, are wanting to grow outside of the gar- bounds of the garden. Mm-hmm. And that's good. The idea of parenting is at some point successfully launching your kid. You don't want Absolutely. them living in the basement for the rest of their life. No, you don't want so, a 35-year-old living in your basement. That's so not good. <laughs> getting them to the point where they are producing fruit, where they're right. successful in society, where they can manage society out on, on their own is the goal. But like you said, having that 
that root system, that connection where they want to come back home. They want to keep some of those traditions that they grew up because those are stabilizing things. Those are healthy for them. Absolutely. And that's important to keep in mind when you're talking to your teenager and you're going through a difficult patch as a parent in talking to your teenager. And um, you want to keep in mind the bigger goal, the bigger picture. You have to be the parent. You have to do the modeling because Technically, as the parent, you are the adult in this relationship. (laughs) So you want to keep the cool head. And even if your kid is screaming, I hate you, that's fine. They can scream that all they want because in the moment that is true. But it is not true as a pervasive feeling that the child has forever and ever always moving forward or that they've had in the past. But it is true for that particular moment. Oftentimes, one thing that I do with parents that helps them is to separate the emotion from the person. So your child is screaming at you, I hate you, you're the worst mom ever, you're the worst dad ever, you're terrible, you got, to use your analogy, you got pregnant at 15 and look what happened, da 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 And the parent can still keep their cool and say, yes, I understand all that is true. I understand you feel that way and I still love you no matter what. And you still can't go out with Johnny, you know, for the weekend, Right. you know? Yeah. 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 And I think having, um, you know, we, we talked very generally so far about being, um, honest and open, being a human, not being a machine that just spouts off, uh, correctness all the time, but being, uh, having good modeling. And I think, um, yeah, we're, we've also talked about just being calm. Um, your teen's gonna do some different things. And I, I talk about pets. I'm a big animal lover. Mm-hmm. Um, so my dogs occasionally dig uh, more than I would like them to out in the yard. And I can be mad at them. I can scold them for digging and I can still love them. Absolutely. And, and we're very, the same with kids. We're very quick to do that with, with pets and animals and we can understand it. And we think like, right, when our, when our teen slams the door in our face, well, then that's the end of it. And it's absolutely not. No. Absolutely. So I think that's those are all really good points, and those are things that we do a lot in mm-hmm. in our work. And I think it's important for people to know that and to understand that. Yeah. How do you help parents with some of the more minutia, with some in the moment? Um, you know, we we talk these big picture items. How do they do it in the moment? What are some some tips, some tricks, some hacks that you as a therapist help parents? kind of used to navigate the the ins and outs of having a a teenager in the house? Well, the biggest thing I tell parents to do is before they even go home, so when they leave the session, you're sitting in your car, get either your phone out and write on a note in your phone uh, or get a pen and paper out and write on that. What is the one or what are the one or two things that you really want to see happen with your kid? Mm -hmm. For For instance, for me as a mom, my big thing is I want you to be a good steward of the earth. Okay. And I'd also love for you to be a contributing member to society. Those were my big two. Mm -hmm. And so once I know those are my big two, then I can, everything follows from that. And so when it's, when the parent is, Johnny is yelling at at mom or dad, you can keep in mind the big picture, but you have to take that deep breath first. Mm -hmm. And that allows your brain to start working and thinking, and that hopefully will allow the emotions then as well to leave, or at least to not be what is driving your mouth to move. And so it's important for parents to understand what it is they want, you know, the big picture goals, what do Mm -hmm. they want to have happen with their kids. And then the second thing is do whatever it takes for you to make sure that your brain is engaged before your lips are moving. So take a deep breath, walk away, do whatever it takes in the moment to make sure that your emotions are under control and your brain is in charge. Yeah. Yeah. I love both those things. I think, um, knowing kind of what you want for your kids. I talk a lot about like, um, 
being a successful launching is the goal, but, right. but on day-to-day stuff, compliance is usually the goal. You want your kid to empty the dishwasher. You want your kid to take the garbage out. If they mumble, if they complain, if they roll their eyes and you react to those things, mm-hmm. then that becomes the issue. But that's not the issue. The issue is the garbage or the issue is the right. dirty dishes. Exactly. And so focusing on compliance um, instead of how they're doing things, they're going to grow out of the eye-rolling phase. They're going to somewhat grow out of the grumbling phase, um, ideally. And mm-hmm. so it's one of those things where, like, if you're a parent, get, get pulled into that, that's what they're going to respond to. Absolutely. So, again, that big picture. What are you, what are you going for here? Um, you want them to be hygienic. You want them to take the garbage out. You want them to not live in a pigsty. Like, okay, right. that's a good goal. Whether they do it at rolling their eyes or they do it whistling while they work doesn't really matter. As long as it gets done. Right. Yep, absolutely. So, yes, the big picture, I think, is is huge. What do you want for your kids? And, and reminding yourself of that on a very regular, probably exactly. daily basis. Or moment-by-moment basis sometimes, depending on how your kids are, where they are. Yep. Um, also, it's good to remember where your child is because a high schooler is a little bit more on their way to becoming an adult. Middle school is called middle school hell for a reason. Mm-hmm. And so those years that a child is in middle school, school is hard. Yep. Clicks are starting to form. People that were their best friends in grade school, they don't even know them anymore when they're walking down the hall. There's a lot more movement between classes. People are separated in most school districts by knowledge and their ability to test take mm-hmm. and what is perceived as an IQ-based system. Sure. And so there's a lot more separation in middle school, not only for academics, but also for clicks and for sports and for all those things. So for a child to not have a calm home to come home to really redoubles the effort of that middle school hell. It is awful for a child. So if your child can at least have a calm space to come home to, whether it is their room, whether it is, you know, the first half hour when they come home from school, what have you, whatever it takes for your child to have some calmness and some peace and tranquility and even some nurturing, even if it's sideways nurturing. So, yeah, I made you some hot chocolate because it's cold outside, whatever it takes. Mm -hmm. So I think that also helps to build that bond and enable the parent to be that safety net. Yeah. Yeah. And I liked um, what you said earlier about making sure your brain is engaged before your your lips are engaged. (laughs) Um, I tell parents all the time, like, give yourself time give yourself space give yourself a break your kids high emotion that is how their brain is operating it's developmentally appropriate for them not for you and so say let me think about it they want to go do x y or z let me talk to your mom about it let me talk to your dad about it Mm -hmm. um if you're a single parent find those those uh phrases those things you can use to say like well let me think about it or I'll get back to you tomorrow morning. Um, don't get caught up in an imaginary or arbitrary time frame that your your teenager is giving you. Their brain runs on a two-week cycle. They move so quickly through everything. And what's in front of them right now is the most important thing in the world, even though we as adults know it's not. Exactly. And so giving yourself time, if you get caught up in that moment-to-moment stuff, you're going to respond more poorly. And that's way more likely to, to devolve into an argument and name-calling and all those things that we want to avoid. Absolutely. And I think it's also coming, kind of coming back to something we talked about in our previous podcast, Jeremy, is that when parents are in charge, rather than the teenager being in charge, that's what makes the family run better. Mm-hmm. Whether it is the, the parents that are in charge or the mom or the dad, if you're a single parent, whoever it is that's in charge, that's the adult, that's the executive system and they're in charge for a reason. Mm-hmm. And the teenager needs to understand that. So if you respond quickly and then you have to go back on your word or you have to go back and revisit that decision because you responded either too quickly or you responded in the moment, 
that really erodes some of that power and some of the control that the executive system should be having. Yep. So make sure that you understand that as the executive parents, you're in charge. Mm -hmm. Good, bad, and indifferent that you are in charge. Yep. So knowing that can sometimes give parents pause to, to say, let me think about that. And I like that phrase. Yeah. And I think um, teens don't want that. That That is a bad response to them, but, mm -hmm. but it helps the family overall. It helps the whole system operate a little bit better. Um, I was kind of laughing while in my head while you were talking. I, I have a four-year-old right now. Mm -hmm. a four-year-old and a one-year-old, so not teens yet. Um, although people who have three or four-year-olds will probably tell you there are a lot of teenage tendencies already. <laughs> yep, um, they start early. My little four-year-old will slam the door sometimes. I'm not talking to you. Um, but it's, it's one of those things where if he asks me something, he doesn't like my response. Maybe he wants ice cream for dinner, and I say no. He'll go ask mom right away. And so it's one of those things where we, we think these are these teenage habits, but kids start them very young, and that's where the consistency comes in. That's where you as parents have to really be consistent Absolutely. as a unit because kids learn, well, if mom's busy or dad's busy doing this, I can probably get them to say yes, so I'm going to ask them. And so those are nice habits. Those are little, uh, I think, life hacks that help you as a parent kind of navigate some of that stuff. Well, let me let me check with your mother first. Let me check with your father first. Um, blended families, you know, you've got some some outs there where you can say, well, I'm going to text your, your dad or I'm going to text whoever it is and always kind of have those little abilities to give yourself some space to breathe, to calm down, to think things through. You don't have to respond to everything in the moment. Couldn't have said it better myself, Jeremy. Awesome. And I loved the plug. Yeah, this is our second podcast together. So yeah, yes, it's amazing. Can go back and listen to that first one. Um, I think we're on all the big, we're on all the big stuff now. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Amazon. We're on iHeartRadio, I think. So cool. But, Very cool. but the basis to find us is lakeshorepsychologyservices.com. Uh, we got a tab for the podcast. We got a tab for the blog. I think you did mm -hmm. a blog recently yes. on um, mm -hmm. social life. I mm -hmm. did one. Uh, it's written. I don't think it's posted yet on sleep. So you can check out all that stuff at our website there. Absolutely. Great stuff there. Yeah. So thanks for joining me again. Second time around. Um, very much appreciate it. Always fun getting together. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks, Jeremy. All right. And thank you, everybody out there for listening. Like I said, check out lakeshorepsychologyservices.com for all our different content we're putting out or to contact um, Dr. Berger or I about setting up some, some therapy, some counseling, um, life coaching, all that type of stuff. If these topics are kind of resonating with you, that's where you can contact us. Look forward to it. Thank you.